let's get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up. Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Live. Get ready for Sega interviews and news. Hello and welcome to the Segabit Swing Report Show Live. I'm Barry, and let's let's actually look at my face here. Still working on having that beautiful music playing while I'm talking here, but we've got to get to it. We have an interview for this show. I am going to be joined by Steve Lakowitz very shortly. Um, before we do that, though, I do want to remind people we are on Patreon. That is our only sponsor for this episode. We don't have like. Dollar Shave Club or like Keeps or all those, I don't know, all those strange ones like Better Help. None of that stuff. If, if anything, if I could choose one, it would probably be Goo Gone, which is really great for cleaning like dirty cartridges. And I'm really into a uh, Bang Energy Drink right now um, because uh, I don't get much sleep anymore. But uh, without further ado, let's bring on our special guest, Steve. There you are. Hey, what's up? Say hello to the nice folks. Hello to the nice folks. <laughs> I usually know. <laughs> I never say that. So, um, Steve, your 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 music name, I did not pronounce it yet because I completely forgot to ask you how to pronounce it because I don't want to butcher it. It's just APOC. Okay, that's what I've been saying for years. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good, good, I'm glad. <laughs> it's, have you ever had, like, we have App Zero C here. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone said that, yeah. I mean, I, that, would, that would be cooler, I guess, than APOC at this point. Perhaps zero C. Um, so what, so what uh, boy, how do I begin? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> well, <clears throat> I mean, I, I do a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> for music and stuff, though, I, I guess I would say that it's really – you know, I just kind of make music, but I use older consoles and mm-hmm. use lots of different kinds of older consoles. And I really try to make sure that it, you know, kind of preserves the older tradition of how hardware music uh, was made. You know, and I do that across, uh, you know, uh, Mega Drive, NES, MSX, uh, you know, lots and lots of different things. So it's kind of uh, making music with old technology, I guess. Awesome. And what what games would people listening have possibly played or are looking forward to playing that you've worked on? Well, I'm right now I'm working with, uh, well, I'm the composer for Brock Crocodile, so I'm sure some people here are familiar with that, at least because it's a Sega, kind of a Sega fan game that isn't one that's kind of a labor of love. It's it's really fun to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be working on uh, Dead Horizon 2, uh, which will be coming out. I think it's probably going to come out in 2022. Um, I have I have a bunch of projects right now that are like super can't talk about them, but it's going to be right. really exciting. Um, so, you know, I have, I've been in the background of a lot of other work. I usually kind of do sound work for other folks. That's was uh, my bigger gig for a very long time. Uh, you know, I also work with Brave Wave, uh, the uh, company out in Japan, uh, and just kind of on their guy when it comes to anything that needs to be transformed into older, you know, uh, authentic 
uh, chip tune music, they usually kind of tag me. So I think I, at this point, I'm more known a little bit for that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm hoping to be more well known as a game composer uh, very, very shortly. I think some things are going to blow up. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's really awesome. Well, you know, we could definitely have you back on once those things start blowing up. Um, but let, let's move backwards in time now. So obviously, you like video games. You 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 know you play them. You you know your stuff. Um, but what what would you say are some of your earliest game memories? Like, were you a Sega kid, a Nintendo kid? I guess I was kind of a Nintendo kid who wanted to be a Sega kid. I think that there's a certain like um, group of people who probably fell into that category. Um, I, I had a I had an NES, and it's actually a pretty cool story. My I, I really wanted an NES, and my parents always just kind of said no, um, and which is kind of the, the typical thing. We had like an Atari twenty six hundred in the house. Um, which my dad would just like collect more games from garage sales for. Like we have massive amounts of like garage sale, <laughs> you know, weird half working 2600 games. <clears throat> but eventually, you know, they, uh, they, they kind of, my parents kind of bent to my will and they got the NES, but they, it was really cool. They set it up um, and put it in like the, the laundry, uh, like they put it in the, the laundry room or whatever. And then they actually, my dad knows a decent amount about technology, like daisy chained the two uh, AB wires uh, so mm-hmm. they were like kind of super long. Uh, and yeah. then, so, you know, on Christmas, we thought nothing was going on or whatever. I went to go turn on the TV and it was like the Mario and Duck Hunt screen. <laughs> like, because they had, and there was like no Nintendo there or anything. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And yeah, they, they'd set up the Nintendo, like, you know, pretty much 20 feet away in a different room. And that was like, surprise, we bought the Nintendo. Um, that's like one of my, you know, favorite childhood gaming memories. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I did that. I, eventually got into super nintendo um so kind of like wanting sega products it, it's always interesting because i was always kind of like renting segas or renting the a genesis from like the local video store it's mm-hmm. like a thing you could do you could put down a deposit um and then you could rent it for the weekend or something so i was always playing like sonic sonic one but uh eventually i got one i got a genesis 2 on that generation i got that like if you remember there was like that crazy costco bundle which was like two six button controllers and like uh columns and sonic 2 or something like that for like right. i don't know that you know everything my entire life as a kid was from costco so <laughs> i'm assuming that that's how i you know i got my uh, got my thing in there but i mean like yeah that's pretty much like very early uh my gaming history it was really kind of nes eventually super nintendo and then genesis um you know kind of at the same time okay yeah it- on past shows, um, George and I, like on Sega Talk and on Swing Report Show, we would talk about Nintendo fans, and it was like they, a lot of them did want to be Sega fans, and I did not know many Sega fans, or I don't want to say fans, but like console owners who were like, oh, I really want to get a Nintendo. I don't know, I just, I, I've never really met that many people that had them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a pride thing, like Sega fans kind of either knew that they were missing out on something, but they didn't want to admit it. Because Sega was the underdog at the time, um, I know. You know, for me, I didn't really realize that they were s- separate companies. I thought maybe you could get a Mario game on a Genesis, um, <laughs> you know. And I just because they were just characters, they're they're all video games. So I, I didn't really understand that. It was like you can buy VCRs from different companies; they all play the same tapes. It's not like there's the Sony tape that only plays on the Sony VCR. Um, so it was a, a strange concept to me, but as I started to become more aware of different consoles, I became also aware of just like weird differences. So like, for example, the SNES had this weird effect where it looked 3D to me. 
And yeah. I was like, why can't my Genesis do this? They're all they're, they both say 16 bit. Why is that? Um, but then you also have like the sound, um, the sound of the SNES. So I, I, I know people that either love the sound, hate the sound, are indifferent. Um, where do you fall when it comes to like the sound of the SNES? I kind of love it. I mean, it, I, it's kind of, um, I mean, it has limitations. It can be very bright, I think, in terms of, uh, you know, sound effects and just the, the, the instruments. Uh, it's also about the utilization of the instruments, too. I think they were uh, really bent itself on being kind of either, uh, you know, something with a lot of guitars in it or something with lots of lush, lush strings with that kind of like vibrato effect that happens when you kind of take a sample like you do like you know snes is sample based uh audio and you take a sample and you loop it um right. so you get that kind of lilting and very echoey and washy kind of feel like i just think about like the opening of uh link to the past is, is a great example of like using all the effects like you right. got the, the thunder and the, the wishy like the, the music that's playing so it, it can be very atmospheric like super metroid is a great example of a super uh you know atmospheric music right. You know, so I, I mean, I, I appreciate almost every game console down to like the beeper and the ZX Spectrum. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, but I, 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 yeah, I, I like the Super Nintendo sound. I wish there was a tracker or an easy way to do it without having to, uh, you know, kind of move mountains to make music for it. So definitely do it. So, I mean, am I, am I just being a biased Sega fanboy when I like think that I'm, I hear a lot of SNES music that also has a Genesis equivalent, like it's the same game same music mm-hmm. tracks but for different consoles and I almost always go for the Genesis um, and maybe that's wrong but I, I sometimes feel like some SNES music is like overly produced or it's almost like they've been given so many tools that they use all the tools to the point where you're almost like there's like strange sound effects playing and they've got like it feels like twice as many instruments at going at the same time but then you show me like I don't know, like Ninja Turtles Hyperstone Heist is an example. I prefer that soundtrack to similar tracks in, I think it's Turtles in Time is the equivalent game. Um, I mean, am I, am I being a biased fanboy, or would you say there are uh, music tracks on SNES games that just maybe they, they go too far, they don't know how to hold back when they're given all these tools? It, you know what it is? It's interesting, and that, that's a good point, because like, that's a great example of one where Hyperstone Heist is definitely a better soundtrack. It just is, um, by far. Um, and you know, a lot of these games like were in the arcades were FM games, FM with PCM, so that would be like mm-hmm. FM and something that kind of sounds like Super Nintendo, but not. So we're more used to that. Like The, the original like Turtles arcade game or whatever is all FM, and it's really bombastic. Um, you can't do bombast on the Super Nintendo. It, it's not right. really built for that kind of bombast. So yeah, it's it, it lacks the punch. There's so many great examples like Brandish, which is a game that was on Super Nintendo, but it was also uh, on PC eighty eight and PC ninety eight, which is an FM based console. That you know, long story short, without getting into too much detail, basically the same sound chip in a lot of ways that the as the um, the Sega Genesis uh, Mega Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, 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 there's no contest that the versions on the PC-88 and 98 are better than the Super Nintendo one. The Super Nintendo one sounds just like, it just lacks the punch, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, there's a difference between kind of, like, even, like, great composers like Motoi Sakuraba and people like that who, you know, when they write for, uh, you know, FM are thinking about crazy FM instruments and just, you know, and otherwise, when you write for Super Nintendo, it's like, okay, I pick Flute 2. <laughs> you know, a lot of the stuff is there is just from rolling sample sets. 
And so you don't get to customize it as much. Um, right. And I feel like that's where, and like, so that's good and bad though. Like I thinking about like zombies ate my neighbors is a good example. Um, you know, it, it sounds really funny on Super Nintendo. Uh, and it sounds, there's some of the tracks on the Genesis version that I just like, they hurt my ears. <laughs> you know, like, no, no offense to any of the composers of the game, but you know, the uh, I, I really prefer some of the Super Nintendo tracks versus the Genesis tracks. Right. Um, it really just depends on how much, uh, you know, effort was put in. And, you know, uh, a lot of games were Sega games first, and then they were transferred over, like Languister 2 became right. Dura Languister, stuff like that. And the Sega version, there's no contest, is much better. <laughs> the Mega right. Drive version Exactly. And I wanted to touch, too, on FM sound. So, you know, there's terms out there that that video game fans will hear, like blast processing, things like that. And they'll they'll talk about it like they know what they're talking about. I feel like FM sound, I don't know if if it's maybe becoming a little more mainstream now because we're getting a lot of soundtracks coming out that will designate, oh, you get the FM sound version. Um, for, For people listening who do not know... Who, who say they know what FM sound is, but they actually don't know what FM sound is. Could you explain it in, in the most simplest terms? Uh, <laughs> you know that Michael Scott where he's like, explain it to me like I'm a 10-year-old, and he's like, now explain it to me like I'm a 5-year-old or something like that. Like, uh, what, like what's the easiest way to explain what that means? This is the problem with FM. Um, it is, there is, I, I mean, I've done panels on FM sound. I've done, I've written things about FM sound, I've done podcasts on FM sound. It is very difficult to distill into one, uh, particular way of describing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a sample sound. So it's not something that's pre-recorded or pre-designed that you use. You have to actually make it. Um, and it really is just like, for lack of a better term, and, you know, FM guys are, are always really careful about how to describe this stuff. So I'm going to just make sure that I describe it in a way that infuriates them. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it really is just like four different four different sets of algorithms um, mm-hmm. that work together. And they all have different, like, attack, uh, delay, um, decay, uh, you know, ASDR, uh you know, and so what you do is you can set them for all four of them, and then you basically put them all in a row and you, you shove the sound through it. So, you know, it would be kind of like, you know, this sound makes it a little tinnier, this sound makes it a little louder, you know, and you have four of them basically. And you can arrange them however you want. So you basically, I press the key down, it's the C, it's a C, like, you know, whatever C you want it to be. It goes through four boxes of mystery, and that's what the note is basically. Um, it, and so you can, it basically allows you to customize everything from, you know, the attack to, you know, how many attacks there are. It's like four instruments playing at once and you can kind of, they can either work with each other, work against each other, work in a row, work all at mm-hmm. the same time. Um, so, you know, that's explained it as a 10 year old, um, explain <laughs> it as a five year old is it's very complicated. Um, that, that, that's the answer. And, um, it's a complicated thing. It's, it's so funny. So. One of the guidebooks, and I said this on my panel when I was at MAGFest uh, a couple of years ago, um, one of the guidebooks that tells you how to make FM for Defle Mask, which is one of the big FM uh, chiptune uh, trackers that folks use, basically set in the FM category, basically says, uh, FM's complicated, ask someone else. Um, <laughs> and the tracker that everyone else uses. <laughs> so it is, it is math. There is math involved, and there's some thought involved. Um, you know, if you want to, you can make different kinds of instruments, uh, and you just, you know, you can make things from that, like twangy, 
bass that everyone loves to like those like really like kind of farty kind of trumpety sounds like but i mean it really is to make those sounds someone's turning a bunch of knobs until it sounds like something um, I see. and yeah and like so for super nintendo like a lot of the folks like even for like you know Uematsu or any of those guys who are at um, you know working on the final fantasy games they just down, they had sound sets from akai and from roland and they just said i like trumpet three that's the one i'm going to use and that's it <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, and like the Super Nintendo effects, like it has super cool echo effects and some kind of, uh, you know, re-triggering effects. Um, but that's what it is. So it's more like MIDI. That's like, and I, it's Super Nintendo's not MIDI. Don't get me wrong. But it's more like MIDI than uh, your uh, Mega Drive is. Your Mega Drive is more analog. It's more akin, you know, it's more, it's more related to what the sounds that comes out of a Nintendo than it is the sounds that come out of a Super Nintendo. Someone's going to kill me for saying that, but I, that's that's <laughs> what I that's my understanding of it as it is. It is a sound chip that produces its own kind of uh, instruments and sounds. So, is there any notable pieces of hardware that people might have in their own homes or have imported that has FM sound? I mean, I can name a few, but I, I want you to. Oh man, so Sound Blaster is actually an FM chip. Uh, so the old Sound Blaster on DOS is FM. It's the so a lot of it, like Doom. Remember Doom? Like when mm-hmm. you guys, uh, anyone who played Doom, probably played it on a Sound Blaster 16. That is FM as well, um, unless you played it. There, there's all kinds of versions of it. Um, you know, you could play Doom on pretty much anything. <laughs> right. Other things that have FM sound. Uh, well, if you have a, I guess a Mark III or Sega Mark III has the OPLL in it. So if I mean, if you're lucky enough to have a Mark III with the FM sound unit, the you'd have it um the sega master system the japanese one also has that in it um i mean the, the list goes on and on on most of the games a lot of actually the pinball games you played probably had uh, have uh the ym215 one or 2151 which is known as the opm so like black knight uh has pcm but also has fm sound of uh, the pinball game black knight um, there's a, I mean, FM sound was ubiquitous in, in, in basically a lot of the games we played, especially in the arcades. Um, it was PCM and stuff like that, like Super Nintendo, that was a newer technology, um, which eventually led to like Redbook Audio and things like that. So, uh, you know, there's there's so many, so many, so many things that had FM in it that you, you'd be surprised. I mean, every, you probably listen to a lot more FM than even NES music when you were a kid and you were a Nintendo kid. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so... When, when you're moving into, like, the Genesis era, um, and then you mentioned Genesis 2, uh, I, you know, the big thing, the big difference between those two, people always say, is the sound. And it seems like the sound of a Genesis has never really been perfected after the Model 1, when you have different pieces of hardware, when you have the little handhelds that still take um, cartridges, but they're, like, made in Brazil, things like that. Um what is the reason? Is it, I guess, is it impossible to replicate the sound or is it just companies being cheap? <laughs> oh, it, you know, okay. So you opened up a can of worms here, Barry. Um, yeah. So the Model 1, there, there's huge schools of thoughts about this. In general, the Model 1 Sega Genesis, the very original Sega Genesis and the Mega Drive, V O O and V O One all can all have a discrete FM sound chip, and what that means is that the FM sound chip is like if you open it up, you'll find a uh, OPL OPM eh, OPN two, which is the YM uh, Y. Oh, wow, I have a I'm blanking hour here. YM twenty six twelve. YM twenty six twelve. Wow, sorry, it's it's late here. 
Um, <clears throat> but you'd have the YM2612. So if you opened up and if you have an older model Sega Genesis, you'll have the main Motorola 68000 processor, and then you'll see a literal chip that will say YM2612 on So the thought is, is that back in those older models have a better sound because the sound chip is discrete, it's by itself. Once you start to get into, and I'm talking off the top of my head, I know people have written books about this, so hopefully it's not mm -hmm. incorrect. But I think once you get past V, like VA4 or uh, revision four through six, has uh, pretty much has a discrete uh, YM2612. But once you get to revision seven, which is right about the time they start to make the Genesis two, they start to make a uh, you know a combined. Uh, uh, ASIO or not ASIO combined, but the basically combined chip. So they take mm -hmm. the Motorola's with the 8000 and combine it with the, uh, you know, the sound chip. So it's one big chip that has everything in it. And that's usually where the sound kind of goes downhill um, simply because it's not mixed correctly. Um, they put different things in there that makes the sound a little bit muddier. And mm. so, you know, purists usually say like anything like the bigger, you know, high definition graphics model, uh, right. You know, it says high definition graphics around it. Tends to have the discrete, uh, you know, discrete uh, OPN2, so it has a better sound. Um, you know, it, it's true. I mean, the, the Sega Genesis 2 stuff kind of sounds like garbage. It's definitely muddier, and it's interesting. I never even knew this until I went over to, like a friend's house, and we were playing his old Genesis, and I'm like, it didn't sound like this to me. It did like like we were playing Streets of Rage, and it's just like it's like there's like so many more timbers that I, uh, timbers that I wasn't hearing. Um, you know. Uh, like if you played Genesis three, um, uh -huh. you got you got really screwed. That was like some, some of the worst sound. Nomad was pretty much the same thing as Genesis three, except it's really loud. Um, I don't know if you've tried to play with the headphone jack on a Nomad, but like oh, yeah. turn it up just a little bit, it's just it's yeah. like super loud. Yeah. Um, and there's the one uh, I think Majesco is the company that took over for like they, they made a, a small amount of uh, Genesis 2s right at the end of its life. I think it was Majesco. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you've ever seen one of them, but it's like a Sega Genesis 2, but the actual logo is gray. The, the, the Genesis logo is gray. Yeah. Um, and those actually have a really cool sound because they're actually mixed very cleanly. Um, they don't sound better than like a discrete uh, older uh, Sega Genesis model, um, but they do sound, they're, they're very clean. So it's, yeah. it's actually very good for recording if it's modded. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just depending on when you bought into Sega Genesis, you you could have heard it completely differently. That's not yeah. really true with, like, Nintendo or Super Nintendo. It's really just the Sega thing. So it's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I, I grew up um, having a Genesis Model 1, like, very early, early model. So it definitely has um, that uh, Yamaha, whatever you said. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. FM um, complicated, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> FM trademarked. Um, and I had the Nomad, which I listened to a lot on the headphones because I used it in the car a lot. I did not get a uh, Sega Game Gear until much later, and it was the Majesco model. And oh, okay. I, I have like some of my earliest articles, um, you know, probably 12, 13 years ago on my old blog, The Nomad Junkyard. Um, I was writing about the Majesco model and I was like going through a list of things that made it actually better than the original hardware. I don't remember ever talking about the sound, but I did note um, that it had a slightly better screen. Um, mm -hmm. So there's some, there's that. But it is interesting that, you know, for as much flack as like those... Um, third-party companies that have it, the hardware licensed out. Majesco actually didn't do that bad a job. And I also think that a lot of the carts you see floating around for certain games, like I think Miss Pac-Man on the Game Gear, like 
they had a handful of games that they re-released and they're floating around there. So when you you know you go out and you pick up like Sonic Chaos or Miss Pac-Man, it's more often going to be a Majesco release than an original Sega one just because it was released later, so it's likely to be in better condition. And they might have even released more of them. So I, I don't know what the numbers are for like their hardware releases, but it would be interesting to learn if Majesco actually, you know, maybe met or exceeded the amount that Sega released maybe for the the Genesis 2 or something like that. But um, yeah, it can definitely be a headache dealing with Sega hardware as opposed to Nintendo. There's so much more of it. I mean, I've been collecting for uh, decades and I still don't own a a Genesis 2 or 3. I see them all the time and I'm like, do I need it? (laughs) No. Um, But yeah, you've picked up quite a few pieces of hardware over the years. You've shown me some. you're into what are you into right now? You you talk a lot. You have there's there's a pinned picture on your Twitter account. Oh, no. Let me let me bring it up here actually. Um, but oh, you God. can okay. describe to the audio listeners what what I'm going to be bringing up here. Well, um, I like to collect old computers, and uh, I decided to one day kind of figure out what I actually had, and it's uh, a lot more than I thought. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an addiction. It's a problem. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm here to discuss my problems now. Uh, it's, it's just, yeah, I collect MSX computers and it's something I've gotten into. I used to collect, oddly enough, I used to collect Sega Master System games. I got like really, really far in collecting all those. And it's just like those last couple pieces were just so frustrating. Um, like, oh yeah, there, there we go. There's the, there's, there's my mess. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's really interesting because it just, the MSX platform or, you know, is, is really interesting computers. Um, and they were kind of similar to our, like I, uh, IBM compatible. And so much that it was just kind of a brand standard and you could see there's all kinds of different colors, systems, shapes, companies that made them. And so it's just super fascinating. There's super rare ones like, um, you know, that people didn't, I mean, it was funny cause it was like the third or, you know, fourth most popular computer in Japan. Um, so it wasn't really like a big, 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 huge draw or anything. Um, but there's just so many cool systems and so, such a cool history to it because it was really, it was a kind of a computer that was backed by Microsoft to try to invade the like the Asian markets, uh, and NEC was kind of top dog at the time uh, in Fujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting because it's it just the original stuff was all backed by Microsoft money, um, and so there's so many weird and interesting uh, MSXs that kind of pop up from there, uh, you know, in different companies and different colors. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny too because you talk about uh, how the um, you know, Sega Genesis has different sounds. Depending on which like you know uh, MSX you had, you could actually have different colors because the VDPs were different. The visual visual display processor, video display processors were different in some of them slightly. So some of them are known for having better reds. Some of them, you know, it's like it's a whole thing. It's just as, just as nerdy as anything that you'd see in the, the, the kind of Sega forum or anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. So are yeah. you are you producing I know you you pick up hardware not only because you're a collector and you enjoy it but you also pick up mm-hmm. hardware to produce your music correct Yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so and what I, I mean, what is the process behind that like when you let's say you get something off of eBay or or a, a, a Japanese equivalent and it come, and arrives and you plan to make music on that like what's your process 
So, I mean, luckily with MSX, it's like, for example, for, you know, I have flashcards and flashcards are usually the way, the gateway to making sure that whatever you're producing can go onto the console. You can, you can MIDI control consoles too. You can just literally, you know, use a keyboard to make a console sing. There's all kinds of boards for that. But if you want to play back like an original track or arrangement or something that you made like outside or uh, like non-native to the computer, you should use a flashcard to, you know, take your file and bring it over. So I have a flashcard for my MSX. I have an older EverDrive that I use for my Sega Genesis Mega Drive work. Uh, I have some kind of crazy contraption for my Famicom when I do Famicom work. Um, yeah, I mean, so that that's the process. You just kind of, you, you compose everything on the uh, computer, then you can just bring it over on a flashcard. And there's already built in into EverDrive and some other things, uh, you know, that lets you basically do that. The same thing that lets you play any VGM file. I'm physically putting VGM files uh, that I made onto the console and just running them. That's interesting. So you do very little, like, opening the console up, if at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's all on the flash card. I mean, there are people who are, like, smarter than me and cooler than me, probably, who do that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. But I, I always consider myself to be kind of like, you know, I, I'm a, you know, a fierce collector, but kind of a so-so engineer. Um, and I, like, you know, <laughs> when it comes to that kind of stuff, I let the smart people do their work. And, uh, you know, if, if they have an extra copy, I try to buy it from them or something. <laughs> and they make, like, cool stuff, you know. Um, and I, uh, there's so many smart people producing so many cool things out there and um, I'd rather just be able to boost them. I don't, I, I, I don't have the brain for that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, right. So when you started uh, doing chiptune music, um, like was there a scene that you latched on to? Like how, how did you go about going from like learning how to do it to actually saying, well, I want to perform this in front of people. Um, was it all, a lot of it like on the internet or did you know people IRL around you? I didn't actually. I just, I kind of was doing it in my own like little box. Like I, I had no clue what I was doing. Um, <clears throat> and I was just messing around with it. And I'd really gotten into, um, I guess I was running a blog, which is called uh, Classical Gaming, which is still up, I think, uh, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I, I won't give you URL, but I, I think I have, there's a lot of edits I need to make to it now that I know a lot more. Um, but I was doing that blog years and years and years ago. And, uh, you know, I was just really discovering sound chips. Like I was looking at the different kinds of sound chips inside of the Mega Drives and, you know, all the expansion audio chips for Famicom. And uh, it was really fun. And so what I did is there was uh, out here, I'm from Philadelphia, there's Brauhaus Schmidt, or not Brauhaus Schmidt, there's the, uh, what's that other place? The, uh, well, oh. the, basically, yeah. Uh, the beer it's outside. Yeah. 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 Why can't I remember off the top of my head here? Um, but anyway, they used they were doing one of those like geek nights where like someone comes and talks and drinks, um, and I applied for it, and they're like, yeah, sure, go up, go up there and talk about sound chips. And, you know, I was already <laughs> kind of composing a little bit on. The, I was doing like my like I don't know bad Famicom music on the side or whatever. I played, uh, I did that, and you know, uh, Paul Weinstein was in the audience who is Chippercrit, and some people probably know who Chippercrit is, and he's like, who are you, and why don't I know who you are? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like. Well, you talk, you're talking about exactly the things that, like, a bunch of other people in the city are, but how do we not know who you are? You know, like, why don't you come to 8Static or any of these other events? I'm like, what are you even talking about? Like, people, <laughs> there's actually people in Philadelphia that like this stuff. You know, I, I just thought I was, like, making this in a vacuum. But there was, a, like, Philly is one of the chiptune scenes. Like, there's Philly, New York. There's stuff going on in Detroit. Um, there's the Florida scene. So Philly is, like, on the map for chiptune. And I had no clue. And I was just, like, fumbling in the dark here with my own, like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> articles and stuff about chiptune when actually like <clears throat> one of the people that i was 
using to build my articles was uh, was known then as ex Explode or Explode 2AO3. And I used, and that, that guy used to have all these crazy, like really cool analysis or whatever. <clears throat> and then it turns out, like, and I was using that to make my blog. And it turns out that that guy was in Philly. Oh. <laughs> so then I talked to him and that guy's Patrick and that's how Retro Game Audio started. That's <laughs> the, amazing. Uh, the podcast that I was doing for years. So it was, but it was, you know, the other guy who was talking about this in the country actually just happened to be in the same city as me. <laughs> and we were like on parallel paths. It was like, it's such a small world sometimes. Um, that's but funny. that's how I got into it. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I never was really into the per performance aspect of it. Um, I didn't right. even really know the performance thing. And I thought it was flatly when I first walked in there, I'm like, what are we, why, like, this is like a dance party? And we're like, <laughs> what the heck is going on in here? Um, but then I started to get in, a little bit more into it. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it started. I just played some open mics and started making new compositions and yeah. The rest is history. <clears throat> wow, that's amazing. And, you know, you mentioned Small World. I should mention that we actually didn't meet, like, <laughs> through the community. Um, because, I mean, I, I won't name names or, or anything. I won't give people's addresses out. But y your your wife and my wife were best friends growing up and, like, like, way, way back. Like, I watched a video of, like, them at some, like, church thing or whatever, and they were, like, three. So it's it's kind of insane. And so... Um, you know, I, I was dating at the time, my, my now wife and you started dating and then like, uh, your, my wife's friend, it's weird not to use names. Um, and, um, and then like very shortly thereafter we had our wedding and, and she brought you as her plus one. And we're, when we were like, wow, she's bringing that guy. She just started dating, <laughs> you know? Um, but I mean, there's nothing weird about that. We were just like, oh, the, you know, like, I think that's one of the first times we probably met you, um, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit before that. But it was just so funny because I don't think for a long time we knew that we kind of were in similar communities and we knew similar people um, until a bit later, you know, because then you maybe would come over and see like a console I had or I, I'd have go over to your place and see something um but it's just kind of wild that there was like a point where you would be like you would go to an event and meet someone and then it turns out that i know that person too um and i think around the time of like sonic mania and stuff like some mm -hmm. of the people on working around that project like you knew them and i knew of them so it was just all these really funny uh coincidences there I don't yeah, know. I just was, thought I'd bring that up, but it's it's bizarre. It's really weird. <laughs> it was like, I think that, and the thing that <clears throat> that I always start to think about though is that, you know, the reason we didn't know that each other were nerds is because we were trying to be secret nerds, like cool oh, nerds, yeah. like oh we're nerds, but like we're not really nerds. We're just like we're like cool, like you know, oh we all do these <laughs> other things. Like I'm just going to keep this door over here closed, you know, because I'm not going to be a nerd. And it's right. like, then like, it starts to leak out a little bit because it's like, I mean, I knew what Sega bits was like, <laughs> I've been on there, right. I've played before. Like, so it was like, so funny. I, I never put like two and two together, um, you know, until we started talking <laughs> about it. Um, you know, and like, I, I've been part of, what was the Sega community? There's a couple other ones back in the day, like way, way back then. I was like, mm -hmm. what, Sonic Bean or something like that. I was definitely on forums for those. And we've probably been in similar circles for like 20 or 30 years and didn't even know about it. Right. Um, so <laughs> such a small world it's bizarre yeah and i like you mentioned the secret nerds because that's that's kind of where i'm at and i think i'm going to remain 
Um, I'm in my basement now. I'm, you know, you can't see it, but th- this is all Star Wars. It's it scares people when they see how much it is facing me behind me. You know, it's actually not that much Sonic stuff. Um, I, in my opinion, like when people look at this, they go, "Wow, look at your huge Sonic collection." I'm like, there are people who fill rooms with this stuff. This is pr- pretty much the extent of mine, until they go into the room over there, and then they see <laughs> that the room over there is also filled. And I don't know if it's like a mental thing, but to me, I look at all this stuff and it doesn't seem like a lot. And if anything, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like enough. And so in my mind, I'm actually holding back and it's all the other people who have too much stuff. Um, and you know, my, my wife said to me about a week ago, she's like, you've, you've taken over the basement. The basement is now yours. And I'm like, but you weren't doing anything with it, you know? <laughs> Like, I don't want to be sexist, but, like, it's like women, they got their shoes. And the shoes take up the entire shoe rack, and they have the thing on the back of the door. And, and you know, we we don't say anything about it, but they've got a lot of shoes. And then here I am with all this stuff, and this stuff's actually, I'm using this stuff, unlike the shoes that aren't being worn. You know, I've got, like, okay, so I'm not, like, play, playing with those action figures, but they're there. I can see them every day. There are dozens of pairs of shoes. There's a bin back there of shoes. And sure, there's like 12 bins of my stuff as opposed to one bin of her shoes. But I'm thinking about those things right now. I'm thinking of the uh, the Ghostbusters toys or whatever I've got back there in a bin. Um, so it's it's funny, though. But yeah, I keep all of this very secret down here. So when people come over and they're on the first floor, they don't see almost any sign of anything. They'll be like, oh, you have a few game consoles. And there's like a little stack of games. And that's it. Um it's weird. It's this is like the 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 gamer dad podcast now. But <laughs> it's funny because I feel like when we were kids though, <clears throat> it wasn't like desirable to be a gamer, so you kind of like the way that you lived was like you just kind of pretended you weren't and then like you hung out with your gamer friends. Like that's kind of how like the lunchroom table worked. Like you could talk to certain people about games and there's some people you didn't. And then there was like some of your friends were just like only games all the time. And you're like, "Oh, but those are the nerds." Right, you can't figure it out. Like, (laughs) right, but I think also in grade school, you kind of you had your franchise that you liked, and then you all liked video games, and maybe you had different consoles, but you didn't judge each Mm -hmm. other on the consoles. It was more like a perk to have like a core group of friends, and you all had different consoles. Oh yeah, Um, absolutely. But like my core group of friends, I was the Star Wars guy. My friend, uh, one of my friends was the X Files guy. One was the Jurassic Park guy. One was the Aliens guy. Um, and it was just kind of cool because we'd go to each other's houses and we'd get to play with like the um, con- the compound playset for Jurassic Park, or we'd get to play with um, you know some of my Star Wars things. And we all liked video games. But then I feel like as we got older, you know, some of us like now, like in our in our thirties, they'll have like I, one of the guys I know he has a bar in his basement and there's like an Ecto One license plate and that's like mm-hmm. his collection that's like the remnant of his childhood he still you know has the jumpsuit for, for um, Halloween but that's mm-hmm. about it but then and then in, when it comes to video games he'll remember them but he won't have them on hand he'll be like oh yeah my I got my daughter a Switch did you know they've got the old games on there though? those are great and I just kind of have to sit there and go, yeah, they're really awesome, aren't they? It's fun playing those, yeah. But then I guess there's there's some people who just they hold on to the stuff, <laughs> and they still not not to the physical stuff, but also like 
the the knowledge and the memories and keeping up with it and and having that like core collection still in their house um and i always wonder like when am i going to grow out of this and my wife my wife will ask me like when are you going to sell some of that stuff um and i'm like i'm at that point now where i can i have to say it's not going to happen you know unless there's a massive crisis where i need to like sell the stuff and even then i tell her you know what it's too much effort to sell (laughs) <laughs> to sell a copy of Burning Rangers and make 300 bucks when I, I'd rather just become an Uber driver for a week, you know, <laughs> than lose my Burning Rangers. Um, well, it, it's so funny, though, because it's like, you know, uh, speaking of eBay, like uh, you eBay, I eBay, we like, I, I'm always on like auctions everywhere. I'm like, got my eyes and ears everywhere looking for deals and rare things all the time. And it's just so funny because it's like, I, Recently, and this was kind of painful for me, but I did it anyway. I, I got rid of my most of my childhood SNES games, um, mm. and I kept the ones I liked, but I, I got rid of a lot of the ones that you know that I didn't care for too much. Um, and I just put it in a big bundle and shipped it out because they were just sitting there, you know. And a lot of the batteries didn't work or anything. I have a flash cart for my SNES, so I can play any of the games I want. But the nostalgia is just playing the game on the console, feeling it, and, and on my TV, it's you know the the stuff didn't seem to matter as much. I did the same thing with my master system collection. I liquidated a lot of my master system collection because mm-hmm. um, it was just taking up a lot of space, you know, and, the, the, you know, as I'm the guy who just, you know, there's a bunch of pictures of me with 27 computers on my couch. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, it was just kind of like, uh, it wasn't like I was growing out of it. I was just kind of trying to be smarter about it. It's like, I don't know. I did the same thing with like my magic cards a long time ago. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep the ones I know are valuable. And like, what am I doing with this huge box of comments? what am I doing with this? You know, like there's no point in carrying this box of commons all over the place. So I gave it to my brother and then I kind of take the cards I need when I need to. So, <laughs> so it didn't sell it. It's just, it's not in my house anymore. Um, but I, you know, I, I get it. It's just like, there are certain things that you have to hold on to. Um, you know, I, I had an NES when I was a kid, I sold my NES at a garage sale mm. um, to buy a 33, six modem. Cause I wanted to be able to hook to the internet better. So I sold all my childhood games. So when I rebought a lot of those, like uh-huh. recently, it didn't have any nostalgia for me. Those are just games I rebought. So I just ended up selling them. Um, you know, That's like really I just kind of went on like sell off. You know, but like my original copy of Final Fantasy three slash six, like I'm not selling that. <laughs> I'm never selling that. That's uh, copy of Shining Force two. Nope, nope, not selling my copy of Shining Force two. I don't care. Um, and some of my rare stuff, I it, like you said, it's just not worth the effort and hassle. By the time eBay takes their cut, by the time everyone takes their cut, you're not, you, they're, they're not, it's not really worth anything. A lot of these games are worth 20 bucks, and by the time everyone takes their cut, you're making $8, and you have to wait in the line of the post office. Right. Um, you know, and I keep telling that to my wife. That's why I ended up having to, you know, basically make a bundle and sell everything at the same time. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's just not worth the effort. Um, for the, that, way, you know? the way I look at some of those games that, you know, like I, when we do the Sega Talk, uh, every other week, George and I will like look at the price of the game now, and more often than not, the prices are going up. And I'll mm-hmm. be like, "Wow, this this uh, copy of I'll just throw it out there again, like Burning Rangers, it's going for like five hundred now." And to yep. me, that's not the value of the game; that's the price I'd have to pay to get the game back into my collection. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't look at that price and go, "Well, if it's a little lower, I might buy it." You know, like if I don't own it, because I'm. I wouldn't say I'm done collecting, but I'm done spending more than the original retail price. I can't do that. And that's kind of a rule I've set for myself. If the game is more than what I suspect it costs at retail, like $50, $60, I'm not doing it. And it has really helped me. 
Um, but then at the same time, it'll be two in the morning and I'll be like, oh, there's a Ninja Turtle figure with all the accessories. It's only $75. Oh. And then I'll wake up the next morning. I'm like, oh, God, I did buy it. And I won. I won the auction. But, you know, I mean, that's it is what it is. Um, uh, a lot of my MSXs are that way <clears throat> where I, I get the notification at Japanese midnight and I'm just like, oh, uh, well, hmm, this, I haven't seen this one before. Um, it's a little bit rare. I know there was only a couple of these made. I will just put in, you know, like uh, 20,000 yen or something like that. And I'll just, we'll just see where it goes. And then like, <laughs> I, I wake up the next morning. It's like, you won. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just have to figure out how to explain this. Yeah, a recent one <laughs> oh, for I'm me. The, I'm in the doghouse again. <laughs> a recent one for me that we've talked about, and I'm, I'm having an idea right now. I'll, I'll pitch it to you in a second, but the um, Sega printer, the Prefun. Um, which is such a strange uh, piece of hardware. Um, when you search like Sega Retro, it'll always kind of appear on that list at the very bottom of like suggested articles or related articles, like other hardware. And it's a printer that was released, and it was meant to be used for both the Saturn and the Pico, which I guess were just like the, the consoles at the time, but it was uh, sold to the Japanese. And the idea was is that it... It had the ability to pause your screen even though the console was still playing um, and then print what was on the screen. And you could also print like what was on your TV, like different TV shows. Um, Very strange piece of hardware, but I got it for maybe a little over $100, like complete Mm -hmm. in box, which is actually a really good price now because I think they're going up because there's only like a handful of them that are usually for sale. Um, I mean, I'd love to have you back on like in a month or two. And we could like do, I, I could just put a table right here and we could play with it and talk about it because I've never hooked it up. Be kind yeah, of fun. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's just, I, I feel like there's some things you just, you got to go for because you're probably never going to find them again. Um, you know, and if the price is right. Plus, I don't know, in terms of eBay and PayPal, they've got those things now where it's like pay in for. So for me, I'm like, I'm not spending $100. I'm spending $25. And then two weeks, $25. It's like the mafia coming to your door and they go, you know, they're here for the collection. But the, the difference is I can't hold back. They have to pull it from my account. So it's, yeah. I don't know. Um, I want to jump back into your music here. So I have this. I Let me know if I'm on the right page. Um, so this is your SoundCloud. Okay. Uh, is this your your preference for people listening to your music? That or Bandcamp, uh, apoc.bandcamp.com, I believe. Or is it, yeah, I think it's apoc.bandcamp.com. Yeah, and I, it's I brought that up here too. So we've got um, okay. your music, your merch, a community, a bunch of people talking about you. Look at that. Oh, boy, there's a community. Oh, no. I, what is that? Um, oh, okay. It's people I, talking. Not... It's it's messages from you. That's cool. Um, so oh, okay. walk me through some of these albums here and maybe um, if the internet's uh, a working in our favor we can uh, listen to a few tracks so i'm looking here at field work is this the latest release from you yeah and that's just kind of like a bunch of b-sides there's a lot there is a lot of uh sega stuff actually in there um the other ones are mainly i mean christopher crescent isle is a sega soundtrack um Mm. and the other ones are mainly nes so uh, probably field work is the way, way to go to find something that would be fm Okay, great. So I see a lot of options here. Um, yeah. <laughs> off the top of your head, is there one that you would like me to play? 
Uh, let's see. Uh, from there... Sorry, I'm actually, I'm actually watching the simulcast here so I can see the names of my tracks. I'm oh, no problem. <laughs> that will help me. Uh, let's see. I want those small on my screen. We bet you know what? It, it might make more sense to just go to SoundCloud, honestly, because I think I have more on there. Okay. I'm thinking. Um, you know, I'm over on one. SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. Here I have Brock. Should we just play a Brock track? Brock track. That's really hard to say. Real quick. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, so we have the Sage Expo demo 2020 OST. I'll just throw that on here real quick. Yeah, any of that stuff should be fine. So that's just <laughs> a brief sampling there. Um, so, I mean, this is your latest project. It's not at uh, Sonic Amateur Games Expo this year, but it was last year. Um, mm-hmm. It it got a lot of attention from what I saw. A lot of people really enjoyed what they saw, um, but they also enjoyed what they heard. So um, this, this well, the game I should mention, it's from a Segabits contributor, um, Aki. He is, uh, he's taking this Sage off, but he is still at work on the game. And he tapped you to do, are, are you working on all of the music for the game? Yeah, yeah. And at this point, actually, it's probably over an hour of music. Um, wow. <laughs> there's like 40, I think there's like over 40 tracks. There might even be an hour and a half of music when it's all said and done. So, um, you know, th- we've been working on this game together since... 2013 or 14 so there's been a ton of output um and you know there's like original tracks for everything you can possibly imagine from every shop to every world map to you know every level every boss like so it's it's a lot of work and that's why it's kind of funny i'm always like i am working on games i promise it's it's like this this is going to be a massive 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 soundtrack um and it's really exciting yeah i'm doing everything from the the music to the sound effects and it's all recorded off console so every single thing you hear in the entire game has been recorded off console from every jump to every you know one up to and you know everything you hear is definitely off console which is cool that's awesome and as far as like direction from him i i hear some tracks that very much evoke um some sega tunes that i've heard in the past there's uh, i believe brock's beach house Sounds very much <laughs> uh, like a, a certain uh, soundtrack uh, <laughs> bit from Outrun. Uh, were you given direction as to like make this sound like this, or just like kind of go crazy? What what uh, kind of relationship, working relationship have you had with Aki? Um, it, it's been just kind of like you know find 
find what you're looking for in there. A lot of times, like a lot of the earlier stuff, I just kind of threw things at the wall to see if he was into it. Um, for the beach house, he told me what it was, and he's like, I need to make wave sound effects. I'm like, I know what we're doing. You can't stop me. I know exactly what we're doing. <laughs> um, you know, PM. Um, we're not we're not stealing anything. It's a different, completely different melody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I kind of I clicked it here so people can hear it. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's even waiting. Did you wait to the end? There's actual wave sound effects. <laughs> That's what I clicked ahead to. I just love that sound. <laughs> um, you know, and a lot a lot of it has been studying these things. Like I recreated the the waves from uh, last wave. I mean, it is the exact waveform. So like, you, I have an instrument that I can hold down that makes those waves, which is really cool. Um, I spent a lot of time on that. Whereas it just, but that's what's so fun about this because he's spending a lot of time trying to make it look like, you know, a, an earlier uh, Sega Genesis game, and we're spending a lot of time making the sound correct for that. So you know, th- th- we kind of we kind of egg each other on. Uh, in a lot of cases, what I write, he wants it to be better um, than what I wrote. <laughs> that's interesting. So actually, yeah. So there's been a lot of tracks that I've uh, like. I could probably fill. An entire b-side album you know something like that with tracks that we've just decided didn't work um you know and a lot more of that we can talk about when the game actually comes out because there's some really funny stories i could tell uh, about certain tracks um but yeah it's it's uh yeah we, we try to make sure that the best that's possible so there are mm-hmm. uh some tracks do hit the cutting room floor uh quite a few actually <laughs> but it, it's been kind of fun because it's really challenging and to make sure it's the right fit he has a very good opinion very good ear for what he's looking for so have you been in uh, talks with him about potentially releasing like a physical release of the soundtrack um, when the game comes up? I've, I've talked to him a bit offline. I don't know what his exact plans are, but I have asked, like, are you doing kicks, Kickstarter? I don't know if he's said that or not. Um, any any insight from your end, though, as to if you think there's going to be... I mean, I don't know if we're going to see a vinyl. That'd be kind of wild, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't think there'd be a vinyl <laughs> But, I mean, physical releases would be easy enough for that. I know that it'll at least be on Bandcamp. That was that's the plan. That's what mm-hmm. the contract says. I'm just um, <laughs> it's on Bandcamp, uh, so there'll be at least a Bandcamp uh, release for it. Um, but you know, we, maybe there'll be a, a, a CD version or vinyl would be amazing. But it's you know, I'm, it's one of those things where it's like you can you can put a feather in your cap if you got something on vinyl, uh, especially if it's like your own work and all your own work. So we'll see. Well, I mean, you know. Um, We'll see how everything's received, and you know, I, there's demand. I, that's definitely something. I think cassette would be fun too, like a cassette with a couple tracks on would be cool. Oh, that would be uh, awesome. I've, I've already talked. That would be really funny to do. Like, get some friends together and do like one of those super arranged tracks. Like, you know how like there'd be like this like weird, bizarre arranged version of like just some Pac-Man game or something, and like all <laughs> these guys like went way into it, and it's just like on a cassette in like Namco's library, like Namco Classics One, and it's just like the Pac-Man theme, like with like crazy sound effects and all this reverb. Um, like I'm hoping that we can do something like that because that would be really, really, really funny. Um, you know, just just a, a good nod to that era of those kind of like weird cassettes and weird arrangements. Uh, there's just there's so many of them out there. Um, mm. That would be really. That would be really awesome. Um, I also have some other uh, ones here. We'll play one more track. Um, my my only concern is that I don't know how it's sounding to the people listening, so I don't want to like yeah. <laughs> scare them. But I think in the past it sounded really good. So let's see here. I have um, here we have uh, YM twenty six twelve and other FM tracks. So there's only mm-hmm. eight here. Uh, what could I pick from here out of them? 
No, probably if you want to go with the one that's the, the, the money maker here, it's Vitriol Hammer. All right, let's get that up here right now. awesome <laughs> that's really good <laughs> you've got some little little sounds in there that definitely uh remind me of things i've heard back in the day um that's that's really great uh there there's some sounds that that come from the uh ym2612 chip that have always stuck with me one of them is the um you hear it a lot in some of the sonic uh, one tracks, I want to say, where it's almost like a wee 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 wee. It's almost like oh, a. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, you know, I think it's in. It might be in Sonic Two actually, when it's in that like mountainous, and I'm just blanking on the track. It's Sonic Two is my favorite game, and I can't remember. Um, but it's like, yeah, yeah, hilltop, and there's like. Yeah, 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 that 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 filter effect. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, Love there's that. lots of cool little tricks there. Um, what What is your favorite sound to get out of uh, those chips when you're working on, like either FM or YM twenty six twelve? It's it's always the slap bass. It's, there's nothing like that. That like <laughs> nasty kind of like slap bass. Like the the sound is just like I mean I, I'm addicted to it, and I, I think a lot of composers from that era were. Um, it like slap bass is in like almost everything you could think of, um, you know, that, that, and it's just like, it just sounds good. Bass just sounds good. Also mm-hmm. like, um, you can get some interesting things. Like if you think of Castlevania bloodlines, you can get some really orchestral sounds too. Um, Castlevania bloodlines is uh, like a masterwork of FM work. It's all original instruments. Um, there Castlevania bloodlines uses no drum samples. All the drums are FM in there. So the Sega Genesis has the capability of using one sample. So like, you know, the sonic drum that, that, that like it's used in like, you know, you can use an actual sample, like pre-sampled, someone hit a snare and they put it onto the console. Um, for Bloodlines, all the drums you hear are completely made of instruments that were completely designed with the algorithm. Um, so like everything in there is just like, you know, pre-made, which is like a labor of love. Not a lot of games did that. Um, right. And so it just sounds amazing. Like, and just the way that it's all kind of set up with all this really orchestral, like kind of like lush instruments. Um, there, there's really no soundtrack like it that I can think of. Um, I really like that soundtrack and uh, I can see the, uh, the logo for it, but it's, it's just eluding me. Maybe it'll come to me later. <laughs> there's a couple <laughs> other ones like, you know, you couldn't remember Hilltop Zone. So this is my, uh, 
sci-fi moment here. What's that with the the rings? It's like power something. Uh, you get rings. And, you know, I don't remember. It's kind of like an altered beast. It kind of looks like altered beast, but you have rings. Oh. And, uh, and yeah. like, uh, it has some really quirky music and it's just like eluding me the name of it. I can see the, the title screen and everything, but, um, <laughs> whatever. It's fine. Maybe it'll come <laughs> back to you. Um, uh, the last few things I want to talk about before we close out the show, um, you mentioned kind of at the top of the episode, um, an episode, I guess this is our series now, um, that you, you worked in like different aspects of video game sound not just music but kind of sound helping maybe with the technical side of things um when when i talk about and i'll plug it again sega talk when we talk about the music often we'll talk about a composer and these people will appear like in a handful of credits they appear still to be working but we have no idea what they're doing to put food on the table and um, a notable one was, and I, I don't have his name in front of me, but it was the Ghostbusters uh, Genesis soundtrack, where he really only did Master System versions of famous arcade stuff, like I believe Space Harrier, and then he did like he worked on like the sound effects for some games, and that was about it. He never really came back and did like a major Genesis game that was his own soundtrack. Um, so like. If you're some some notable person from the '90s or the '80s who's worked on a, a soundtrack, like what what would you say the common sort of career path is for these guys and girls, and like what like are how are they how, what are they how is it a career like you know like I mean I, I don't know I throw one out here right now Hideki Naganuma like mm-hmm. I I know he's making music but I can't fathom how it's something sustainable when he's known for a game from 2001 and an indie title coming up. You know what I mean? I mean, a lot of these people are just working at companies now. Um, a lot of them have moved on to different aspects of just the business career. Like a lot of people who worked for these game companies, it was just another gig. It was just another job. They were, mm-hmm. you know, composers then weren't paid. Like I'm, I'm an independent contractor in every game I work on, but they were just working for the company, you know, um, here's a game, putting it in front of you. I'm going to stamp it. Um, here you go. Make the music. Okay. Next, like some of them didn't even know what they were working on. It was just right. like, from nine to five, I'm working on music and then I go home. Um, so like, that's, I mean, it, that's why I guess like, you know, I remember, uh, Muhammad Tahar, Tahar, who is the person who does, uh, Brave Wave, uh, and Brave Wave Productions, which just kind of started digging up some of these like classical, uh, classic composers. And they were just shocked that people were interested. Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Like they were, some of them were ashamed of their own work. I won't, you know, like get into any of the particular composers, but they had, they're like, why do you want to talk to me? I did that like 25 years ago. And like, I've totally moved on and completely forgot what games I worked on. And it doesn't matter to me. Like it was just a job. Um, But then like, you know, they've had no clue that if they go to like American YouTube, there's like 40 metal bands, like all trying to play their music. You know, they had no clue. You know, so it's like an appreciation or kind of a renaissance for the appreciation of some of these, like, as I call them, the old masters who, mm-hmm. who did this when it wasn't like necessarily a super glamorous thing. And a lot of the, the only places you'll find these people are on wikis somewhere. Um, you, have, you have no clue where they went because it's really just like after like 1996 when in some cases when there was no more FM sound, they're just gone because they were FM sound composers. Um, That's a very you know, good point. Or, or, or they were they were really good at these things. And then it, it's kind of like 
you know, moving from the silent pictures to the talkies. Some people mm -hmm. didn't make it. You know, it's yeah. exactly the same thing. And once you start to get to Red Book Audio and you start to get to like lush and like real sounds and real bands, some of those guys were just not that. You know, they, they, they didn't cut it or it's too much work. You know, it's like learning. It's like you're working a job for 30 years and then someone tells you, okay, you have to learn a new programming language. It's like, ah, I could just quit too. You know, <laughs> and I feel like some people got to that point. Um, so, but the, most of the composer interviews I've read from that era, that's, that's really it. Some people really became like rock stars with it and just kept pushing it. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, a lot of people, a lot of composers that we talk about were just scrappers, were just people who had their moment in the sun, who were this was their chance to write one soundtrack or two soundtracks, and they moved on, you know, because there wasn't a, a career they wanted to. Um, they were just, you know, a lot of times programmers at like Capcom were the people who were doing the sound effects, and they were programmers. They weren't sound people. They were just trying to mess around with the chip to make it sound like something. So, um, that's interesting. You know, I think that's why a lot of them are just, you know, probably working a salary job now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or some of them aren't even working in sound. You know, it was like a side gig, and they're they. I know, for example, I mean, I don't think it's uh, music related, but like the uh, Yut Saito Seaman. Uh, um, mm -hmm. You know, his work. He worked in games, but then he went on to do a lot of AI stuff, and then it gets integrated into different technologies. Mm -hmm. um, that's not even game based. There's also the you don't know Jack developer. Um, and I believe that license or that IP went to a different studio where maybe some of the talent went, but a lot, the core um, staff and, and the company itself that developed those games is now making, I believe, like um, interfaces for like healthcare, you know, mm -hmm. and I think they're, they're based around uh, where I am here in Chicago. And so when I was looking for jobs, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to work for the company that makes you don't, you don't know Jack. What did they do? Oh, they make interfaces for healthcare systems. I mean, <laughs> but you know, I guess if the money's right and you know, you you can move over to that a different industry, that's what you do. Um, so, who who would you say now are some of the best composers? And I I wouldn't say like people who have been doing it for years, but some of the best new talent that you've come across or you know. I mean, there's there's so many obvious ones like Lena uh, Lena Rain is really great, um, really really great composer who did. Uh, she just recently did that game with the paintbrush. I'm sorry, it's like eleven something here, so my brain is kind of okay, foggy. But uh, the uh, Chicory, uh, she just did Chicory. Um, okay. There's T, of course. Um, there, there's a lot of like there's a lot of impressive. I mean, the folks from the, there's a crop of really good musicians from like the last five years that have kind of come onto the scene. Um, you know, you got your classics like Vert and Jake, or Jake Hoffman, people like that. But, you know, like Lena's kind of new. Uh, like I, you know, everything that uh, uh, T is working on is just amazing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of different. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you even have uh, Koshiro writing new stuff and he's like old, but like it's like brand new Koshiro stuff that's like totally destroying. Um, you know, so like in terms of composers, those are, you can't go wrong with either of them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed. I think in the past few years, the the soundtrack for Piku Niku. Um, I think it's K. Let me look it up here. Kalem Bowen, I want to say. I don't know if you've listened to that one, but that's I don't know. There's lots of earworms in that one. It it, it kind of has a classic classic vibe to it, but I don't know. Uh, it's it seems like video game music in general has gone from um, having these dedicated sound systems to basically all 
I mean, obviously they're not MP3s, but you know, you could slap them all onto an album, and it's the same sound that you're getting on a CD, CD quality sound, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. But now we've reached that point where even though it's it's the same sort of technology, we're almost moving backwards. It's like make make music that sounds like I'm playing on a Genesis, but we're most obviously not using that uh, <laughs> that technology. Um, and there's been some missteps. For example, I would say the Sonic 4 soundtrack. It's very clear that they were trying to make it sound retro, but they had the tools not to, but they didn't push it far enough either way. So it almost sounds like poor a poor man's retro and a poor man's like CD quality sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, what, what would you like? What kind of advice would you give to someone who either is a compo- is composing music or wants to get into composing music, and they're tasked with making uh, retro game audio? Like, wh- what would you say is the the best way to go about that sort of process. It, it, it's really doing a lot of listening. Um, Cause when someone wants a retro sound, someone has an idea of a retro sound. Uh, and especially if it's a job where it's like, Hey, do retro sound. That usually means that they have a retro sound in, in, like in their head. Um, mm-hmm. And most, most folks that I've worked with, whether it's been a one-off for Y2K or for any of these other uh, projects I've been on over the years where someone wants a, you know, a particular kind of track, they'll, they're usually a fan of one or two games and that's what they're kind of looking for. Um, and especially with FM, it's kind of like they're looking for, you know, uh, they could be like, well, I'm really a big fan. A great example is, um, you know, the Rock Crocodile uh, devs are a real big fan of Quackshot. So it's like, can you listen to Quackshot and give me some ideas? They also love Shinobi too. So it's like, do you have any ideas? Like anything that kind of sounds like that, you know? Um, so, <laughs> you know, I really think that just thinking about that and, and listening to the old masters especially if you're tasked with trying to sound like them is a good way to start um mm-hmm. you know that so just having a general knowledge of that stuff where to go how to make instruments and how to be flexible it will really help you on the job um and that's whether you use trackers or whether you use sound fonts there's fantastic fantastic uh sound fonts and different systems uh like fm uh drug plug fm something like that um that is really authentic too that you can use um you know it's just and just honoring as much as you can the old tradition um, will mm-hmm. go a long way. I mean, there, there's certain ways, like you can update it a little bit. You know, I think that I've heard plenty of FM soundtracks that are like, you know what, I will just, I'll use 16 channels instead of six or something like that. And as long as you do it right, it's going to sound good. You know, and as long as you're, I guess, really having some kind of reference for the, the original uh, sound, uh, it'll come out, you know. Um, I've heard plenty of tracks, like you said, where someone's tried to create a retro sound and it's just like, it, it doesn't get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that a lot of that comes from the sensibilities you hear from some of those older things. Like, it's perfectly fine with taking, you know, chiptune and adding some reverb and making it sound a little bit more updated and pleasing to the ear. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're not tasked with that, and if you're tasked with making it sound like exactly what you would have heard in right. 1992, you know, there's a difference between that and creating more modern sound. Um, and just really understanding what those limitations were, no matter how you used to make it goes a long way i mean i don't know if the audience appreciates it that much you know mm-hmm. people are like oh i appreciate that but you know there's got to be a couple nerds out there who are like oh they did the right way. like you know outrun uh the outrun re-release for uh 3ds or whatever they did the mm-hmm. extra songs they added they did the exact right way the songs were right so good they're so good right. and they did a great job with them and like you're like oh this is the right sound but those weren't composed back then right they were you know so right. it, it's really like that's exactly a great example of like hey we make new content for something that's older so um, right you know, yeah and, and m2 
M2 mm-hmm. definitely oh, yeah. that's that's kind of their yeah, mantra. Yeah. Like they'll make yeah. um, Fantasy Zone 2W, and they also made um, the Game Gear uh, Micro, which had uh, a less three, I want to say, which is a new game, mm-hmm. but made oh, on yeah. the original hardware. So they very much are in the camp of we want to make it as authentic as possible, use the original hardware. But then you also have you know games coming out um, that do want that retro sound. But you know it, if you can pull it either way, like if you can pull it a little more modern, uh, use modern sensibilities, modern sounds when you can. If it sounds good, then why not do that? Like if if the uh, the games director, whoever's you know paying the bills is saying, you know what, don't be afraid to not make this, you know, one-to-one with the original stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see a problem with that. I do know, like, when it, I saw a funny um, meme last week, I wish I had it on me, uh, but where it was about um, people making pixel graphic games. And it was wow. like, uh, show this to your, you know, your your pixel graphic game friend to make them mad. And it was like, it was all pixel graphics, but then one bit was just a little askew. Because they they basically took I mean obviously with modern hardware you can do that you can have all the all the 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 pixels are there but then you have a bit on top that's slanted that's impossible on original hardware you can't do that but you can do that and so it's a strange sort of of question of well we can't do that because it doesn't look right or it doesn't sound right but we can do that because mm-hmm. we're using modern technology and this is all. This is all, uh, it's a fake, you know, it's, it's, it's all fake in the end. It really is just kind of like, you know, what are you attempting to do? If you are attempting to make something that looks authentic, then try to make sure that, you know, but if you're going bonkers and just like making it funny, like there's certain (laughs) things in like Rock Crocodile, even in the demo where we're just like, yeah, we're going to just break the fourth wall. We're just, you know, we're going to put sideways pixels. We don't really even care. Um, you know, because it's it's an, it's an homage as as much as it is supposed to be authentic. Um, and that's funny. You can use it there. But if you're like sitting there and like, mine's all pixel authentic and everything. And then, you know, you make simple mistakes like that. Like, you know, th- that is really just how you package it. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I could have not I could have just used not the Sega Genesis to make the music for it. It was my artistic choice to do that for Brock Crocodile. Right. Um, and it would have been fine, too. It really would have been. I could have done something a little bit more modern or, you know, something more modern Sega sounding. Um, would have right. been fine. Like. You know, for that game, something more Sonic Adventure would have been perfectly fine. Um, yeah. if, if I, but it, it all depends on what you're trying to go for, and you have to insist on it. You know, like art has to insist upon itself. As I always say that, and like, you know, you beat beat someone over the head with your <laughs> with your knowledge and sound, uh, and and making your reverence for the original material, and it'll come out. Like, there's so many labors of love for like that are like NES specific graphics and stuff like that and they don't even play on any nes but it's like we made sure that every glitch and stupid thing that could possibly happen <laughs> with this game, you know like i was a Mega Man nine like had slowdown in it still which is like insane or was it 10 9 10 one of the one of the newer Mega Man releases still had slowdown even though it's on a modern console it still had slowdown if you got hit yeah um, which is they're like well it's part of the game we're gonna give you that and that's a labor of love you don't have to do that like you could make it so there's no slowdown it'd be better probably right but you're right. so used to that and it's, it's such a classic thing that they and those little details matter you know yeah that's really interesting and um are there are there any like audio glitches uh that you would that would be common on the genesis uh or mega drive that that you can think of when it comes to like performance on the original hardware i, I always felt like the sound was pretty good um 
Well, here's one I'll throw at you. So um, in Tailspin for the Genesis, Mm -hmm. there are moments where if there's like an enemy's like hopping around and there's too many of them, like the sound will hang up. Like it'll be like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Like, why is that happening? Is it? It's it's just processing power. There's too there's too many sprites. The the, the sixty eight thousand processor is trying to control the sprites, the music, and everything at the same time. A lot of the stuff that I write for Sega Genesis could not actually be played on Sega Genesis while sprites were moving because it's too big. Mm. Um, and a lot of the stuff that people write for new hardware, or you know, for or sorry for old hardware, is that that's the case. You actually couldn't play it in a game because it's way too big. Um, you know, like uh, games were like 64k and some of my you know for nintendo or whatever and some of my sound files were 286k or something like that <laughs> approaching one megabyte and like you know that's not going to work <laughs> that's not that's not optimized uh, i had a project that was supposed to go on a cart and we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get it on a cart and it just was not going to work because the way that we developed all the tracks or whatever we'd have to go back and redo every single one of them because every single track all seven of the tracks were bigger than the largest size cart we could find um, so you couldn't even put one on a track. Um, you know, I, I, another glitch, like thinking about glitches, another one, like sometimes when you beat the stages at the end of Sonic levels, like the, the sound gets all weird. Like I'm trying to remember, like it'll play like a hissing or some weird sound, like especially if you like, you pop the, you oh, know, the, yeah. the tanks or whatever, like it'll make like weird sound effects and just kind of like keep playing that until you're like done the, the uh, victory theme plays or whatever. Um, or it'll just play the music over the top of it. Um, or, or like the glitches you can get with like uh, if you finish the stage of supersonic and then you can kind of like you know become supersonic while you're running off the screen and it like locks you up or whatever <laughs> right right that's fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so uh, before we close things out um, what where can people find your work I know we just looked at some of the sites there but um, where can you be find on social media this is your time to plug away all right, so I'm on Twitter. Is uh, well, I, we can probably put it in the chat, but it's uh, a, a underscore p underscore zero underscore c. That's my Twitter account. That's usually where I post most of my updates. I have Facebook, but you know, it's not really. <laughs> it's not very. It's very hard to get uh, out to anyone from there. So that's usually where I'm at. Um, I post most of my new releases on uh, Bandcamp at apoc.bandcamp.com. Um, SoundCloud gets a little love, but not as much love as it used to. Um, but any updates or anything, really check my Twitter. I have a lot. Like I, I'm sitting on NDAs for like four things that are super exciting, um, and like you know, uh, Jet Horizon Two is going to be really fun. There's a lot of different things I'm working on that are going to be uh, pretty big, uh, and also working on False Skies too, which is a really cool uh, throwback, like uh, you know, v- uh, Konami era VRC six uh, NES RPG, um, which looks really fun, and the music I'm writing for it is pretty insane. Uh, and the, the guy who's making the game, it's, it's going to be really cool. Um, so I got that coming out. I mean, it's, it's, I just wish, uh, you know, eventually there's going to be a bunch of cool stuff that's coming out uh, like very, very, very soon. And I, I've been kind of bursting at the seams here uh, and eventually I'll just be able to kind of talk about it all. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just follow me on Twitter and I'll definitely, uh, yeah, it'll eventually come out and you can follow me there to watch me, you know, break hardware by accident and uh, gripe about like how much dressing is on my salad and the usual things that happen on, on my Twitter. Nice. Account, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited for those uh, upcoming reveals and uh, yeah. I'd love to have you back on in the future. It's always fun to chat. And I know we don't outside of uh, little Facebook conversations, we don't really have <laughs> uh, anything. I do have a question coming in. I want to put this up here. 
Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so this is just a little question from the chat. It says, so why is it that um, Golden Axe music and Lightning Forest music stops when voiceover comes on? Because they're using, they're using not the, uh, the actual, uh, what's it called? They're using a PCM, a forced PCM. Uh, and the forced PCM uses the entire processor to, to force voice. That's how you can get voice on Sega Master System. Like, you know, follow the Miracle Ball, like that whole thing is uh like the whole thing just freezes or like when alex kid dies on master system you know how it just goes like it plays that ah, but like everything stops for a second mm-hmm. you can force sound effects into the system by like literally hijacking the entire system to play something back um and so that's why it has the pause and that that happens in the same case when um you're uh it, when, on the sega genesis as well um you could like that's how you can have like it have speak entire sentences and do you know all kinds of cool stuff like that if you really wanted to you can use it the genesis is capable of playing that but you have to use all of its power to do it so um same with the master system same with the nes too in a lot of cases nice nice um well without further ado i guess we're going to wrap things up so thank you again steve for coming on the show uh thank you everyone for watching and we will be back maybe in two weeks haven't really decided on uh which guest we're going to have. But, um, yeah, we'll love to have you back on in a, maybe a month or two, I don't know, and uh, talk more about the projects you're working on. And I'd love to do some uh, Sega Prefund printer. Uh, I don't know. Play with the you format could, here. Let's show off some hardware or something. I got all the those Mark Threes and Mark Ones, Mark Twos. That'd be awesome. Maybe. Yeah, I'd love Just to do, like, a show-and-tell. Yeah, let's do something yeah. like that. Um, and so, uh, until then, you can check us out on Patreon, Segabits, no, patreon.com slash Segabits. Um, you can support the show, and we've got some perks coming in. I'm thinking of maybe having, like, a co-host the show with me, and we can talk about something for 20 minutes. Who knows? But Steve, he gets it for free. Uh, <laughs> so, um, that about does it. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time on the Sagabit Swingin' Report Show Live.